true crime podcasts have become pretty popular over the last couple years and I wanted to kind of turn it into something a little bit different and give more of an ethical look at true crime and look at how it functions in society and how it can be harmful and beneficial. I wanted to start off with talking about the Netflix series Dahmer. Um, A lot of people have seen this series. It's super popular, but not a lot of people know that Netflix didn't get the permission of victims' families to film this series, and they still profited off of it, which seems kind of wrong. For those of you who haven't seen it, or if you're like me who just did the bare minimum amount of research to avoid watching it, um, it went into gruesome detail of the last minutes of human beings' lives without even considering to ask the families, or even worse, they asked the families, the families said no, and they did it anyway. So this whole situation kind of begs the question, is true crime okay? Is it offensive? Is it ethical? And is it exploitive? I mentioned true crime podcasts being really popular, and obviously Netflix has true crime movies and TV shows, but it's erupted into even like social media on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, specifically Instagram Reels, but even other corners of the internet like forums. I want to look at the different forms of like true crime media and true crime genre and how it's presented and try to answer the question of is this offensive and is there a way to consume true crime media in a beneficial way. I feel like you kind of have to start off with acknowledging the wrong ways to do true crime. So I don't know if anyone has seen it, but true crime mukbangs um, and a mukbang for those of you who don't know is what originally started in Korea as an eating show for people who were eating alone or just wanted like something to watch. Um, but now people will kind of give a podcast-like voiceover to their eating shows and their, you know, people are eating McDonald's for one uh one youtuber stephanie sue she's done like you know chick-fil-a mukbang and like the manson family story time and you know people died (laughs) like sharon tate died and that's not completely right because the youtuber is making ad revenue or if it's a large youtuber is making ad revenue off of the video or off of the sponsorships I mentioned TikTok, and the worst of the worst that I've seen on TikTok is people, specifically teenage girls, kind of fangirling or glorifying serial killers, um, claiming they're innocent, or commenting on their physical beauty and appearance, which is a little messed up when they've murdered people. And for forums, you know, I've seen conspiracy theorists harass victims' families, harass people who have been proven innocent, been proven guilty, just anything you can imagine. If you're not getting permission from the victims' families, or at least acknowledging that you do not have permission, 
then that's another thing to look at with like how to do true crime wrong. It's important to acknowledge that you're profiting off of someone else's loss of life or trauma in some cases. And if you're doing so without permission, then you are exploiting that person and that victim and that family. This is not to say that true crime isn't also good. True crime is a female-dominated industry. Most true crime podcasts or true crime media are created by and geared towards women, which is interesting considering oftentimes victims of true crime are women. Besides raising awareness to women about, you know, protecting their own personal safety and investing in their personal safety, it also raises awareness for cases that don't get enough media attention, have gone unnoticed, or people who are often victims who are not talked about. Sadly, most of the time, this is indigenous people, black people, really any minority, anyone in the LGBTQ plus community, but these other forms of media like YouTube videos, podcasts, TikToks even, can help give these cases that haven't gotten the attention they deserve a spotlight and maybe bring justice to these families. When cases get a lot of media attention, if they contained missteps by the police or were kind of brushed over the police, having that fire underneath them from the media can kind of make the police go into action, reopen cold cases, and get answers. There's also been times where cases have been reopened and someone who was found guilty and jailed for their entire life has been re-found innocent. And again, a lot of times victims of the justice system are minorities and people who are most vulnerable in communities, those who have their voices taken away by institutions meant to protect them. Okay, but like, how can we do true crime in a way that benefits people and that creates public good? You can make sure that you are supporting good causes. A lot of podcasts are either sponsored by, loosely using the word sponsored, or work with um, organizations that help, you know, find missing people, solve cold cases. A podcast I'm a fan of, Crime Junkie, works very closely with Crime Stoppers, which is an anonymous tip line. Um, another charity that I've heard of podcasts working with is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. And other charities for missing people, missing and exploited children, those who have been sex trafficked or human trafficked, um, anything like that. I briefly mentioned this earlier, but true crime encourages personal safety and things that are even as simple as just being aware of your surroundings or getting pepper spray or just sharing your location with your friends can make all the difference if something horrible were to happen. We touched on like where the money is going, that's important to consider, but it's also too important to consider like who you are supporting and the content creator and recognize that all content creators are participating in a parasocial relationship because they're only showing you the parts of their personality that they want you to see. It's like a friend who curates their image for you. 
And you also obviously mentioned it, but is there consent from the victim's families? Do they profit off of this, at least, if you're going to, you know, make a movie about them? And also, is it glorifying a killer? I mentioned Dahmer, and they chose Evan Peters, who, you know, is an attractive male lead and someone who's seen as an attractive guy. Uh, other examples of this are like the Ted Bundy uh, movie, again, Netflix. They casted Zac Efron, who, you know, he's, he's Zac Efron. Like, why are we doing that? This is Ted Bundy. He kills people. When thinking about other media besides, like, movies or TV shows, it's important to think about how it's being presented. Is it in a casual manner, like, while eating? Is something else weird going on? Are they doing their makeup? Are they speaking about the victims with respect? Um, and it's also important to kind of do your research. If you're going to believe something presented in a video or something you read on the internet, make sure that you kind of know what you're talking about. So what Netflix did was messed up. It's horrible to make a movie about people being horrifically murdered and their deaths in great detail just to profit off of it for the lore of the story and the scare factor. But not all true crime is like that. And the majority of true crime content aims to bring awareness to real issues and raise public safety, personal awareness, and bring attention to cases that, because of the society we live in, have kind of been pushed under the rug. But by understanding where the true crime that you're consuming coming from and making sure that's a good place and something that you can be proud of is a way to affect positive change for everyone else and, you know, maybe do some good for yourself.